you know, you're literally giving all of your assets that you've worked over your entire life to this individual to basically manage for you. And so I'm not looking for cheap. I'm looking for trustworthy. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Steik, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. We were actually, welcome to another episode of Stay Paid is yes. how I was supposed to start that. But Luke, we were actually just get, getting done talking about, you know, the office and how we're going to go virtual, potentially yes. what will happen. Well, and Ariel, the, we don't know yet. Well, that's what I'm saying. But Ariel the other day goes, so if we go remote, are we going to have a podcast studio? Can we still do the podcast? <laughs> Yeah, we're not giving up the podcast. Our producer, Ariel. That was, yeah. dude, I love yeah. it. That was her first thought. Yes. Her first thought was, like, hey, but we're going to still have a podcast studio, right? Yeah, it's crazy, man. 100%. No, man, how are things going? Uh, we're- no, good. I just got off um, talking to a past sales intern of ours, working for Mass Mutual now. So he did sales interning for us and was, uh, I mean, he's obviously just beginning in financial planning. So shout out to him, but, um, you know, doing his prospecting and stuff and, and wanted a conversation with me and, um, you know, was pitching me stuff he could do for employee benefits and that type of stuff. But it was cool to see how far he's come. And then I also couldn't help myself that I was just like, Hey man, you want to be more direct. You just want to come in this way. (laughs) We've had an internship program here for five, six years. Do you easy more than that? I would say, I would say almost a decade. Yeah, yeah, it's almost crazy. a decade because um, yeah, because yeah. we've had we've had interns that started here now, that sales are here six to seven years. Sales internships we've only done really the last four or five years. Yeah, yeah. Now internships are such a great way to you know kind of it's yeah. kind of like a summer long M- most interview. Most people don't know we hire thirty to forty interns a semester. Yeah, what well, we used to before yeah. COVID. <laughs> now we don't know what we're gonna do. Well, hey, speaking of the financial spaces, our guest today, he is embedded in those spaces. His name is Patrick Kelly. He's the CEO and co-founder of Signal Advisors, a tech-enabled IMO, helping financial advisors scale their practice through peer-to-peer coaching, providing the first end-to-end technology platform for insurance producers and access to capital for agents, which is huge. Prior to building Signal Advisors, Patrick was Senior Vice President of Business Development at RetireUp, a financial planning software platform, and co-founder and CEO of RepPro, a fully automated online financial forms management solution. Patrick, welcome to Stay Paid. Hey, awesome to be here. You guys uh, maybe sound very cool, so I'll try to uh, live up to my bio. Um, but I really appreciate that intro. No, I mean you have you have an amazing journey. So I think like one of the things that we want to kind of dive into right away is talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, kind of where you started. You've worked in a lot more spaces and on a lot more things that I even mentioned in that intro. So. Go and ahead and he's a us, young guy too. Like, and that's what I thought. Like you, you watch our YouTube video. Like if you don't watch us on YouTube, you just listen on iTunes. Go to YouTube. Like he's a young guy for all the stuff you've accomplished. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I also have a young look to me, so um, I'm I'm actually much older than I look. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I, <laughs> I started I started in college. I I got I got uh, to it early. I was actually an intern at Northwestern Mutual, and that was my first um, experience in financial services, which is. Brutal, but also good training. Um, a lot of cold calling, a lot of family friends, but um, it's, you know, sink or swim over there. And that was an, an awesome. And it, it really opened my eyes to kind of understanding um, what building a business is like. And I don't really think I would have had that opportunity if I were to go, 
maybe more traditional route. Um, you know, basically I, I went through all four years of school, but you know, the internship at Northwestern Mutual is much more sales oriented. Mm. And I think if I were to not get involved in that internship, I probably would have just gotten a salary right out of college and, uh, you know, went to something that was not as sales oriented, maybe something more analytical. So um, definitely gave me a unique perspective. Um, you know, it was at Northwestern Mutual that I, I really understood kind of the value of insurance too, which I think is a little bit unique. I think a lot of financial planners just talk about um, you know, they talk about the sexier side of things. They talk about the bigger side of the industry where a lot of the opportunity is, which is just, you know, securities and stocks and bonds and, mm-hmm. you know, building out portfolios. And so I, I eventually added that uh, to my arsenal of experience. But um, I, that came second, actually, which is, you know, just a little bit not as traditional. So uh, my parents actually had a firm and they said, hey, you got to go work at Northwestern Mutual before you can come work here. Love that. Um, so I did that. <laughs> Um, which was, yeah, it, you know, when you're 20 or actually at that point, I guess I was yeah, 20 years old talking to your parents, friends, or even, you know, 56 year olds about financial planning. It's, it's definitely a weird conversation. They don't <laughs> necessarily look at you, um, as, as an expert, but, uh, so you got to work a little bit hard for it. What do you think? I'm just curious there to dive in a little bit deeper there because of just the, the conversation I just came from with a, you know, a past intern now starting out on their financial planning journey, same type of thing where you're dealing with, and a lot of people who listen to this deal with this imposter syndrome mentality, mm-hmm. mentality or almost like um, they don't have the experience. So therefore they don't have the confidence to say like sell to the people they're trying to sell to. What advice would yeah. you give? It's tough, you know, because I think that I think the advice I would give is everyone's dealing with imposter syndrome, even when they're 50 years old. Amen you know, I, I, I think the reality is just realizing that it's not because you're young. Um, it's because you're a human being. And uh, there's so much that everyone doesn't know. And no one really has the answers and no one knows the best path, best path forward. So more likely than not, the best path forward is to choose one um, mm. and to basically, you know, just push forward. And you know, obviously you want to take a step back and, and make a sound decision. But once you've got, let's say, 75% of the data, don't wait for 100, make the decision, see what happens, and then, you know, learn from it. I, I just think you're going to learn from experience and waiting around and trying to see if you're right um, isn't going to get you any there any faster. So Dude, I, that's so good. I would say. I love that, man. I love that. You know, there's this whole thing that's guided me of this idea of there's so many people who think there's only one way up the mountain. And they end up, you know, basically trying, they go up a little bit of the mountain, they go back down because, oh, no, this is not right. This is not the right way up the mountain. And they they try this piece of the mountain and they go back down and they spend their whole life going a quarter of the the way up the mountain. And then it's the people who stick to that path that get to the top of the mountain. They look back and they go, yeah, I kind of did go the long way. I wish I would have gone up that path. But guess what? They made it. Yeah, they made it to the top of the mountain. So talk to us a little bit of this rep pro, right? You start your own business. So you're in the financial services type space. You're with Northwestern. How did you get from there to rep pro starting your own business? Yeah, I mean, so I went over to uh, my parents' firm after two years at, at Northwestern Mutual and I, you know, what was interesting is they were really heavy focused on annuities and annuity sales and kind of helping uh, retirees transition from the accumulation phase of their life to the distribution phase and kind of understanding how to take income from their assets. Um, and that was more or less where they focused. And so um, when I came over to the firm, I actually brought uh, an individual I had met over with me, uh, Joseph Walthenbaugh. He came over from Northwestern with, with me as well. And we both really just focused on 
both life insurance, so how to kind of get more holistic in the insurance planning, but then also the securities licenses to actually start managing people's money. Mm. And so that brought a different dynamic to the business as well from a revenue perspective because we had more reoccurring revenue. Um, we were taking a lot of upfront commissions and then we kind of went down this more recurring revenue fee-driven model on the, on the assets under management side. Um, but really what I saw both at Northwestern Mutual and at Kelly Capital Partners, which is my parents' firm, uh, which is still in operation, by the way, um, was I, I just saw that once I convinced someone that the plan that we had put together for them was the right plan and they said, yes, they're like, all right, I'm ready to go. I was like, oh no, like, what do I do? Like, I don't, <laughs> what, what do I do next? Do I fill out an application? It's 40 pages. That's crazy. Um, you know, why is there only one person in a 140 person office or three, three people in a 140 person office who really like mastered this whole entire, you know, order process, order taking process. And so basically we built RepPro as a universal application for insurance products. And the idea was that, Hey, like across all these different States, across all these different insurance companies, across all these different uh, products, there should be one standardized format to ask all these questions because they're essentially asking the same thing anyways. So let's create an, one interface and then basically populate all the PDF forms on the back end and make it just an easier process that anybody in the firm could could kind of accomplish on their own. Mm. Um, so it was kind of like making the, the buying process of insurance products easier for financial advisors. Um, and we built that business up. We, we got a ton of um, insurance companies on it, like, um, you know, Allianz and, um, and North American and American Equity and Equitrust, wow. all kind of like the big insurance players were on the space. We ended up submitting over 20,000 applications mm. um, through the platform. And then we sold that business um, to a company called the Nexus, um, which is basically they do they do a lot of unique things, but they design annuities for really big insurance companies like uh, Nationwide and Athene. And so I worked there. I worked at a portfolio company of theirs for two years called Retire Up. Um, and then over that time period, I was raising capital. So when I when I started RepPro, I was you know I needed to find uh, fundraising. I needed to go out and find venture capital. And so um, I guess that was one way you could do you could bootstrap it too. But I knew I thought this was a venture backed business, so I decided sure. to go that route. We could talk more about you know how you make that decision too. But I I decided that venture capital was the right path and. Um, Dan Gilbert is a big figure in Detroit here. And so he had, he had just recently um, founded a new venture fund called Detroit Venture Partners. And so um, I went knocking on the door, um, the consummate salesman that I am, and I, I started talking and struck up a relationship with, with one of the lead partners there, Jake Cohen. And um, Jake became a really good friend of mine over the last six or seven years while I was building up the rep pro business. Hmm. And um, they actually, I never let Jake forget. They never invested. In I was, Repro. I was literally about to ask, did they actually invest in your business? They, they never invested, but you still, that's a great golden nugget, man. They never invested. You didn't get what you initially wanted, but you got actually something so much better. Yeah. So like, you know, we, it came full circle. Jake, um, was, you know, seven fast forward, seven years later, um, Jake and I had been, you know, like I said, built up the friendship and we were, and we were talking and Jake always wanted to branch out and become an entrepreneur again. He was before he was got involved in venture capital. And I think if you asked Jake, he probably would have said, I, you know, maybe I would have done three years in, in venture capital and then became an entrepreneur uh, again, but he actually went almost 10 years as, as in VC. Um, and then decided he was like, well, I, I want to start something. And so we were always talking about starting something together. And then the timing was really right. 
and we decided to start this business signal advisors together, uh, a tech-enabled insurance distributor, IMO as they're known. And um, that's when we brought in our other co-founder, um, building a tech-enabled IMO. We've got the insurance side and in, in the industry knowledge for, in myself. We've got the scaling of high-growth businesses in, in Jake and Venture Capital and, and Jake Cohen. And then we also have our third co-founder, um, Kevin O'Hara, who's a really experienced uh, chief technology officer. Uh, so we kind of have this, and he's obviously he's the technology leg of the stool. So um, that's that's how we got together. And that's really more or less, you know, my, I guess, almost 11 years now in financial services and fintech. So I want to get into your IMO a little bit. And, and I want to pick your brain, right? Obviously, you're helping insurance agents and you're offering them product, but you're also offering them strategic direction, right? You're helping them with their marketing and giving them ideas and counseling and all that stuff. Before we get there, though, because I don't want to leave the VC stuff yet, because I, I think people might be curious about this. When you were trying to raise money for your first business, like, were you able, like, how many people did you have to talk to? Were you able to just go to a couple people and find the money? How did that process work? And, and kind of walk us through what that looked like in that journey for you. Dude, it was a grind. It was, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so hard. You know, it just really is. And especially when you don't know VC, it's really hard because there's certain funds that have certain theses. And so you could be spinning your wheels with certain funds. There's certain check sizes, you know, so like, are they going to write a $100,000 check um, in a seed round, you know, which is a really small initial round? Or are they going to, you know, is this fund only doing, you know, series B, which might be like your third round of financing and it's a $7 million minimum check or something like that, you know, that, you know, so and there's all of these, there's all these variations in terms of like how these funds structure themselves. And so, so how'd you, you figure that out? Know the right how'd you figure that out? You like just, when you were doing you, rep pro? Yeah. So the first, so rep pro was definitely one where I was just figuring it out. Um, because with signal advisors, obviously I spent a long time raising money. Right. Jake's on the team. He's got a lot of relationships. So at the end of the day, it really is relationship driven. Mm. Um, a lot of these, you know, these venture capitalists, they have, they literally, if you think about it, they just have a bunch of money and people are going to come to them with ideas and, and businesses. I think that's one thing actually that people misunderstand about venture capital is the businesses are generally not mature, you know, but they are not generally an idea, right? You know, it's not 1990 and it's like, you know, get a stick of gum delivered to your front door. And like, that's a business like <laughs> with a dot com on the end of it. Wait, you know, that, is not, that a business? It's not that. Did I miss this? This might be a business that we should start. <laughs> <laughs> I think guys, let's just quit what we're doing. Billion dollar yeah, idea. Yeah, billion we'll dollar subscription gum service. Everything's a box nowadays. So let's put yeah, exactly. the gum in a box and, sub- <laughs> and send it subscription model. You know, but I, I think true. that is such a misnomer in the VC. Like people look at venture capital and they say, oh my God, that like 18 year old kid just got, $10 million to go work on this idea that he had. Uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't work exactly like that. Um, they're much more mature businesses than they seem on the surface. I think some of it's marketing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think like the companies even sometimes want you to think that because it's like, Hey, look, this, this like lightning in a bottle growth and like this insanely smart person, you know, I think there's a little bit of incentive to pitch it and spin it that way. But the reality is these businesses are pretty mature. So a lot of it is like, how did I figure it out? I basically would build relationships with people um, that were in the, in and around the venture capital community. 
and then they would they would introduce me to friends. I mean, that is the that that our actual venture capitalists, let's say in fintech, that are writing small checks. If I, yeah. was, if I was writing my first round, like that is that's the way that you you know if you're a, if you're a venture capitalist. My point earlier was you just have so many people reaching out to you for money because you're basically like advertising literally on a website that says, "Hey, I've got fifty five million dollars under management, and I'm looking to invest in smart people." Who right? wants you know, it? So, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Line up did you get, re, did you have to deal with a lot of rejection? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting about it is like, yes and no. It's not like knocking on doors in the, in the, in the, um, in the annuity sales world where you get the door slammed on your face. It's not like that. It's because people are nice, you know? So they basically, and that's actually tough. Like maybe are terrible mm. because it's like, that's okay, so I'm doing true all in sales. Work. I hate the freaking maybes. Oh, yeah, it's so hard. So, so yeah, we definitely got a lot of, I got a ton of no's. I just didn't know they were no's. And I'm like such an optimist. So I was like a sucker for it. So I've been jaded. I've been jaded in my, my <laughs> elder years, but um, yeah. Well, what was the hardest part of RepPro, right? Because that was a, a success. Like you, you literally were doing financial services, saw a pain point where most businesses come from, right? As you see a need, you go, man, there's gotta be a way to do this better. You create that. What, what was the most challenging thing about building RepPro to where you got it to? The most challenging part about it actually was um, building the initial product. I, I'd say two things. So like I'm in, I'm in Detroit, Michigan, not a lot of engineering talent. We were building a pure SaaS business, software okay. as a service business. So uh, finding talented people to work on the business when you don't have any money, like generally you can go to, if you know, like good software development shops, you can pay them a lot of money to go build your software. That's not hard. Right. But what's hard is not having any money. And just basically selling these two software engineers, which was, you know, the initial founding team of, of RepPro on why they should leave their consulting gig or at least work on this thing at night to build out the MVP, build out the minimal viable product of the, of the platform. So then I could go take it to venture capital and get money because I couldn't say like, hey, I've got this really cool idea. I know the pain point because I'm an advisor. I experienced it every single day. Our staff experiences it. We know it's a big issue. We can solve it. Here's the game plan. You want to invest. They want to see like how many users do you have? Yep. What types of insurance companies are set Proof up? Proof of concept. That's what they yeah, want to Yeah, they need to see all that stuff. So I'd say the first thing was finding the right engineering talent that would take a chance on me because I couldn't pay them. Um, and then the next hardest thing was getting insurance companies signed up because you had this chicken and the egg problem where you basically, you know, you need insurance companies to sign up and get them on the platform because you need their forms and you want them to pay you. And you also need insurance agents to be on the platform. But if you don't have the forms, the agents aren't going to come. So, you know, that was that was basically the big issue. We solved that a couple different ways. One was we just put insurance company forms on the website anyways um, and asked for <laughs> forgiveness later. Dude, that's um, a golden nugget right there. <laughs> seek permission, so seek denial. Yeah, so we did that, um, which actually was fine. There was, it was not like looked badly upon. Um, a lot of them liked it. Um, so I think the hard part then was convincing them to pay for something. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the, the other piece was getting hooked in with, and this is how I know the IMO or annuity distribution space so well is getting hooked in with distribution. Like generally speaking, I think that even with a lot of good ideas, why they don't work is because there's, there's a distribution problem. Like if you're selling something for $10 and it takes you like a literally a salesperson to go knock on doors and go get that thing, go get that $10. Yep. 
probably not going to be a business model that works. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, for us, we were, we were working through distributors to get access to a bunch of insurance advisors and to push it down to them. And then they got efficiencies. So that was, those were like the two ways that we did that, but it took a long time for us to learn exactly how to Man, there's so many. I love hearing an entrepreneur's journey. Mm. Like one of the things I want to go back to just a little bit was just this idea of you didn't have any money and you had to sell engineers and sell people to come on board with the vision. And I think that translates whether even even if you're not an entrepreneur and you're just working for a company, being able to sell a vision when you don't have necessarily the proof right in front of you is such a key trait in leadership and the very best leaders. I'm a huge fan of Ed Milet and he talks about, you know, the best leaders have such a huge vision that other people can fit their vision inside of that leader's vision. Like it's that inspiring. It's that big. And that's what every great real entrepreneur has to do. It's what every team lead in real estate has to do. You have to inspire your team that's making the phone calls right now, trying to close real estate deals and they're not having success that it can be done. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not positive, And I know you and uh, Steve went through this at the early stage of the magazine. There's so many parallels going on here. Yeah. As I'm kind of listening to your story, it's, it's, it's like you guys had a fake magazine at the beginning of our company <laughs> Yeah, we took another people. magazine. I wrapped the cover around it, stapled it on the office floor, yeah. and then said, he went I out believe and sold you're it. Yeah, correct. <laughs> it's just like literally, like, we don't have it yet, but trust me, it's going to be amazing. And here's a mock up of what it could be. And you sell people, but that's such a golden nugget for everybody who's listening to this is that, look, it really it, it doesn't boil down necessarily to the resources you have. And Tony Robbins teaches this. It boils down to how resourceful you are. And mm-hmm. that resourcefulness stems from your vision. It stems from your ability to that purpose, like Joe Frazier, one of our top salespeople today, he was chatting me and he was talking about pain. And we were chatting back and forth and saying the only way to get through pain is with purpose. Meaning if your purpose isn't there, if your vision's there, you can't sell engineers to join you with no money if you don't have a lot of purpose. And you have a freaking ton of perfect purpose, Patrick. And that's why they came on board with you. I just think that's no, amazing. I appreciate that. I, you know, I also, the other thing too, is like, just going back to VC, like that's, that's the other thing is like all of those struggles or why someone would want to invest with you. So, you know, it's kind of like, okay, here's like the issues that I saw that I came, that I, all these hurdles that I overcome came in order to get to this point, you know, part of your story, part of your sales strategy to the, to, because at the end of the day, it's, you're selling upside to these VCs, you know, they want at least 10 X, they got to, you know, if they've got a $55 million fund, they're going to lose on a hundred percent of, or they're going to, they're going to lose on a hundred investments out of, out of, 101. And that one investment's got to make back the 55 million that they have. That'd be a small VC fund, but that's just an example. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to sell them on the upside. They got to know that they can, they can get that upside with you. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. Well, talk to us a little bit about the IMO specifically in terms of like, I want to pick your brain a little bit with everything that's going on and the transition to virtual. We were joking about this before the podcast and all that stuff, but what marketing strategies are you trying to point advisors to insurance agents to like, what are, what are some of the things you're seeing from a marketing standpoint that you're trying to suggest to people right now? Yeah. I mean, you know, we really think is working is so there's um, I think it's kind of interesting, you know, obviously traditionally the, the advisors that we're working with are doing a lot of in-person larger events, you know, right. dinner seminar seminars, educational workshops, 
Um, obviously that's challenging, um, more or less challenging depending on where you are in the country, but nevertheless challenging. So, I mean, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of volatility in the market. People are very uncertain as to what's going to happen in their, in their own personal lives, um, whether it's their income or just their overall kind of financial well-being. And so I, I think there isn't a better time for, to meet with a, and talk to, a, to be a financial advisor and for the general public to value the, you know, what you are offering and what you, ha- what you bring to the table. So, I, you know, generally speaking, what happens in the financial advisory world is there's like a lot of lead in to the actual me- the first meeting, first time you meet with a prospect. There's, you know, some sort of mailer that goes to their house. Then they come to, to you know, a Roos Chris for a steak and they see your presentation. And then they, you basically send them some content. Maybe you send them a book you wrote. You know, then it goes to the first meeting. And even then, there's probably a screening process with your staff before that, before that first meeting. So what, what we've actually been seeing is, you know, people, when you reach out to them today, know they want to meet with a financial advisor. They don't need to see a presentation necessarily. They don't need to, like, sit in a webinar what we've been seeing is that people want, they'll, they'll react. They'll actually set an appointment direct mm. and just, you know, set up time and go meet with meet with an advisor. So one of the big things that we've been seeing is that obviously one, you know, talking a lot about taxes and, you know, there's, there's a whole thing with the CARES Act, but in addition to the CARES Act, you know, just looking at how much stimulus is being pumped into the economy. And then you also just look at our debt in general. I think most people believe that taxes are going to be higher tomorrow than they are right now. Right. So I think tax planning is just a really big thing for consumers um, and for pre-retirees. And so what we're doing is we're doing a lot of messaging around that for, for advisors on, on Facebook ads, and we're driving people direct to appointment. We were doing some webinars, on-demand webinars, live webinars, and those were just not converting necessarily as well. But when we're going direct to appointment, um, we're getting some really good, like, impressive response rates. Um, and you don't have the same fall off either um, because they're just, they're, they're kind of like, there's more, there's less time in between when they originally said they're interested and when they're sitting down with the advisor. So I'd say kind of like very directly taxes as, as like a core topic and direct to appointment with a financial advisor um, is, is actually, I mean, we're still trying and things you're out. Doing in, that, in, are, you're doing that over Facebook. Advice. You're doing, you're running Facebook ads for advisors and obviously with the topic of, of taxes and some, you know, headline or something there that gets them to, to click and you're actually running Facebook ads for them. Yeah, I think a big deal, too, is um, and this is probably I think there's two things, you know, um, there's other there's services that will do it for you um, that, are, that are really great. Actually, they've got a, there's a lot of really great services out there for advisors around this. But then I think the one nice thing is if you do it yourself or have somebody do it, I, I just think having the advisor's brand front and center on the ad it is nice because it kind of gets the potential customer, the prospect a little bit more familiar with the advisor. Yep. Um, and then you can also do things like retargeting. Um, and so that it just kind of gives you some more tools in your toolbox. If you're the brand, if like Kelly capital partners, as an example, is the, is the for the brand on the forefront. Regardless of what your business is, you know that building your brand is crucial, but it's also not easy and good information about how to do it can be tough to find. That's why we put together an ebook called The Relationship Marketer's Guide to Branding, which lays out a step-by-step process for creating a strong brand at a fraction of what bigger advertisers spend. Best of all, you can download it right now for free. Just go to ReminderMedia.com branding. That's ReminderMedia.com branding. Take action on this today.
I agree. Well, I think it's Gary Vee who's talking about if you haven't created a brand, you won't survive. Um, and, you know, he's already saying you're dead. You've yeah. already missed it. Um, but, you know, I, I would agree with you that I think like what we're seeing more and more today, especially in the service based industry. So that's your real estate agents, insurance agents, you know, accountants, people like that, is that it really comes down to when I think of your industry, do I think of you? you. And how do you make that happen? Because I think this is driven, and I could be wrong. It'd be interesting to get your take, Josh, is I think it's driven because people are instant gratification today. And they you just don't have want, a lot of room in your head. You, you to don't keep track of things. So you literally, when you think, oh, I need help with finances, you just the first person you think of, you're gonna go and yeah. you're gonna use them. You just don't even want to, you don't I, even I want to do that. I want a burger else. and fries. Yep. McDonald's. Yep, correct. Yeah. And so I think right. it's really driven by that compression of like, I don't want to do research anymore. I want it to be like Amazon. I want I yeah. want it to come to my uh, door. People in a like day. me also use this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I literally want it to be like that. And so I think what you're touching on, we see cross not only for financial advisors on Facebook ads, we see it for real estate agents that don't be discouraged when you're not getting a ton of just direct leads. You're also building a brand and that intangible, if you do it consistently and you retarget through, and we did a great podcast with Krista Mayshore or whatever yeah. on retargeting through video Six ads months. on Facebook. Six months of retargeting. Right. Yeah. And so you you read things like it's 33 touches to build mind share. You got retargeting on Facebook. And in the end, what you're trying to get is you're trying to get that holistic omnipresence that they see you everywhere. They see you in on their mailbox. They say, see you on their you know, Facebook page, whatever it is. And it builds that mind share. I think that's super important. I would say the other thing that's super interesting to me is that so many advisors that I know don't track their marketing metrics. And so they basically have one good dinner seminar and they say, let's do more of those. Or yeah. They have a bad one. They, they say they're never going to do it again. And then maybe a year goes by and they try it again. But you know, what I, what I've been seeing is that advisors will try these marketing tactics because they understand that they're kind of in a new normal and they're trying to figure out how to you know, what's the new customer acquisition strategy for them. I, I think the one thing that I would caution is that advisors, if you use this type of strategy that I'm talking about, where it's kind of like these direct to appointment Facebook ads, and you're just having these leads come in, they're not going to be as warm because they're not coming through this kind of like really developed yeah. funnel. Mm, great point. So you, you need to have a process in place in order to accommodate that, you know, just because it's a different type of lead, doesn't mean the economics don't work. And if you're not measuring it, you don't know. Um, so I've 100%. seen a lot of people pick up these strategies and then drop them, even though they're working because they don't know they're working. Two little things I would say there to help the audience out that's listening. If you're curious, I don't know how to do Facebook ads. It seems overwhelming. Josh and I did a webinar. Really, Josh ran the whole webinar. He takes you into the ads manager. You can find it on our YouTube channel. So if you've searched for Reminder Media on YouTube, you can find this webinar where Josh literally walks you through and creates three different ads. And he creates them for real estate agents, but they apply in other businesses as well because we go through the principles. And he walks you through the ad manager. Second tip that I would give to uh, people in the audience based upon what you're saying about they're not as warm. They're top of funnel, they're middle of funnel type leads are not as warm. One of the things that I've found working with advisors, working with real estate agents, if you shoot a video text message of you talking to them or you do something like bomb bomb, 
we have seen results actually skyrocket of being able to engage. And I think the reason why is because when they request something on Facebook and you reach out, yeah, they see you as corporate America. They see you as a big company. But if you humanize yourself real fast by sending a personal video message or something like that, the faster you can get that human connection and go, no, 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 I actually live in King of Prussia, PA with you. My kids go to the same school as your kids. Like as soon as you can make those connections, boom. All of a sudden, know you. right now, you have a better chance to nurture that lead. I think I think that's so important. I think you hit on another piece too, which is like, and it's I think it's true in real estate. I don't know. I'm not I'm not as involved in that that industry, but I know it's certainly true in financial advisory, which is, and you're seeing it. It's it's why there isn't just like one monolith financial group out there. It's in even with like the the Morgan Stanleys of the world or you know UBSs, they still use local communities. They still, they want, they want someone in the community that they, because it's a trust sale. Yep. You know, you're literally giving all of your assets that you've worked over your entire life to this individual to basically manage for you. And so I'm not looking for cheap. I'm looking for trustworthy and I'm looking Man, for high that's quality. A good quote. Yep. <laughs> that, that is so good so, right there. It's trust. To me, it's all about trust. And that, that's why it's local. That's why it will always be local. It's not going to, to me, I think, you know, for us, like at Signal Advisors, we're building technology to empower advisors, not replace them, Mm. because we don't think that they have the right technology and and tools in place. But we do feel that the number one thing that consumers care about when they're looking for a financial advisor is trust and and confidence, I would say, maybe it's a really close second, (laughs) Um, but trust trust and confidence. And so, but they need the right tools in order to do their job effectively in order to serve their clients. You're spot on. We did an interview where it was described to us and and I wish I could give credit. I can't remember what interview it was, but it was basically the higher complexity and the higher risk, the more people are apt to using an advisor. Like, so you think of a house purchase, you think of your, your 401k, you think like it's high complexity and it's also high risk that you don't want to mess up in your app. And that's why it's a trust-based sale. Yeah. Like they want to, and, and it's what you said, it's competence. You laugh and I laugh too. It's like, yeah, people want competence. They actually just expect competence. And they, they just expect, they expect you to know the market. When you put that financial advisor title and the CFP stuff and all the acronyms that you, you have after your name, they just expect you to be good at it. And so they're going to come to you with that expectation, but they'll only come to you if they actually trust you Yeah, and you build that. that connection. So Patrick, one of the things that we like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast here, because Luke and I are both a little bit of self-help junkies. We follow all the, all the thought leaders, all we the read all the books and stuff. So Tell us um, from your perspective, like what are some of the daily habits? I mean, your entrepreneurial spirit, you've proven again and again and again. And from that has to come strong habits. So what are a few things that you're doing that you've built into your life every day that have really uh, driven your success? You know, I in terms of strong habits, I, I run a lot and I do read a lot. Um, I used to... I do these, like, I'm always trying to like build in new habits. Like I'm always trying to figure out how to meditate. I'm always trying to figure out that stuff. You know, I, I've I never really, been able you know, to meditate. I cannot. You got ADD. Do it. <laughs> it my, I got too much. Maybe it, it probably means I really need, like, if you can't meditate, you it really it. means you need to meditate, which is maybe the big paradox there. Um, but I would say I really like running. Um, and maybe that's my meditation because it just kind of like clears my head. Um, unfortunately, I don't do that enough either. Um, but I, I read a lot. Um, and you know, I, 
and I will say, I'm just going to admit my, my habits have been completely blown out of proportion lately because I just had a six month year old daughter. Oh, wow. I just Congratulations. She's six months years old. Yeah. So um, that's kind of, I've been trying to get used to the new normal, but ba- when things are, are kind of like, I'm in my, my groove and in my routine, it generally is kind of like morning run. And, and I do probably like another hour or half an hour of reading. Um, but that's, those are the two things that I always kind of like fall Sneak back in on some reading in, during the naps. There well, you go. Well, yeah. that's like, um, who is it? David Goggins, man, that, that guy is like a machine and he's a runner ultra oh, marathon, yeah. but you hear a lot of, a lot of, uh, people who run, it's like something about it, it teaches you discipline and, and you have to overcome and all this stuff. Now I, you know, my theory on running is this, you know, right. Why run when you can walk? Why walk when you can sit down? I, I, why I sit down idea. when you can lay down? Running's one of those why things. Why be awake when you can sleep? Where it's you know? like, I hate the idea of doing it. I hate every minute during it. You can get this sort of like meditative state, but when you're done with it, man, do you feel freaking accomplished? You feel so you good do, about man. yourself after you run. The endorphins. So last question, Patrick, what would you go back and tell younger Patrick back before those mutual of Omaha days before that first internship? What would you go back and tell that young kid? I, well, it's something that I actually like, I ask myself all the time now. Um, I would just, ba- I actually think like maybe the best way, cause you guys were asking like, Hey, how do you guys do, how do you do this? How do you do that? Like the way that you do those things is like ask really good questions. Uh, it's kind of like just the general way that you find out things is, you know, like how do you talk to VCs? You ask really good questions, mm. but like the one question that I always ask myself is, is um, and I, I don't know who I got this from, but I just, it always stuck with me, which is like, how do you accomplish what you want to do in 10 years and six months? Mm. And I think that type of thinking allows you to just kind of like clear out all the minutia and like start thinking about your plans differently. I love that. Um, So I really, I really like that. And I think kind of along the same lines, it would probably be, you know, just like, is this the most ambitious thing you could be doing? You know, like always asking that question as well. Because like generally, like you only have so much time, you know, so like why not try to do something with a bigger impact? And I think that um, most people probably spend too much time thinking about the details. That's so good, man. Is this the most ambitious thing? thing. What's the one thing that I can do today that will move the needle, get me closer to that goal Mm -hmm. that I'm looking to hit? (laughs) That's incredible. Well, thank you so much for being here, Patrick. Before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you, how they can learn more about Advisor Signal. Yeah. So uh, obviously signaladvisors.com um, is basically, is really the best place to get in touch with me. My, my email address is Patrick at signaladvisors.com. Um, and I'm on email all the time. So you can definitely get me there. <laughs> awesome. Sorry for reversing those two. I think I said advisor signal. No one caught it till you mentioned it. That's another golden nugget, lady it. and gentlemen. It's no, like dude, no, when thinking, you make a mistake, you just move on. Nope. Nope. You own it. You <laughs> speak <laughs> up. Someone will comment that Sean Carpenter will catch that. He'll be like, Hey, you uh, switched up the name. (laughs) No, thanks again for being here, Patrick. Thanks so much for listening to dive deeper into this episode. Get all the resources and links that we mentioned, go to staypaidpodcast.com. And if you're looking for ways to support the show, there's two ways that we ask you to do that. First is head on over to iTunes or your favorite podcast player of choice. Leave a comment, rate the show. Hopefully that's five stars. And the best way is to tell a friend about this podcast today. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram 
and Facebook. We are mm. at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Hickory. Man, there are so many good principles that you can learn from this podcast. So I would encourage you to listen again, take notes, things like relationship building, things how you actually build mindshare. But the theme that really stuck out to me was this idea of selling people on your vision when you don't actually have the tangible proof necessarily in front of you. And I think that's an incredible action item for you in this way, meaning every single day, whether you're a team lead, you're going to have to sell the real estate agents under you, the advisors under you of the vision of what they're trying to accomplish, not only for the company, but for themselves. Why are they doing what they're doing every day? Are you selling them that vision and selling in a good way, not in a bad way, selling them in a good way, but even think of it deeper. If you don't have a team, maybe you're going to do your first presentation. Maybe you're, you know, Cameron, who's the intern that used to work for me. That's now pitching me on benefits. You could tell he's nervous. It's like, Do you have the vision that you go, hey, I don't have a track record. I've never sold any real estate homes, but guess what? I'm better than the real estate agent that sold 100 homes right now because you're one of 100 to them. You'll be my one and only. Do you have that type of vision and passion to where you can present that way? Because from your vision will come that confidence and from that confidence will build that trust. And what did we just talk about on this? People want to buy from people they trust. Remember, The difference between a mediocre producer and a top producer in every single industry that Josh and I have worked in is top producers take action. Take action on that today.